Welcome to the Photo Banter Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Gagne, and on today's podcast, I speak with Gene Bressler, the founder of Catchlight. Catchlight is a digital retouching house located in Brooklyn, New York. In this interview, I speak to Gene about how he first got into photography and how he made the transition to a full-time retoucher. I also speak to Gene about his experience assisting legendary photographer Arnold Newman, as well as retouching the work of famed photographer David LaChapelle. Catchlight has worked with clients such as Nike, MTV, Google, Sonos, and Bravo TV to name a few. Gene Bressler is someone who has a wealth of knowledge about photography, retouching, and the photography industry. So it was a real pleasure getting a chance to speak with him about his work and all his experience. So thanks so much for listening, and I hope you enjoy. All right. Well, Gene Bressler, uh, thanks for taking the time to come on the podcast, man. I really appreciate you uh, doing this. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for having me. This is... uh this is an honor considering the lineup you've had. <laughs> yeah, it's been interesting talking to different people in the photography business. Um, so I was definitely interested to get, uh, you're the first retoucher. I know you do more than retouching and we'll get into that, but definitely interested to hear kind of like your side of the business because it is an important side and it's just different. Um, but I guess just to kind of start off, where did you grow up and how did you kind of get into the photography world? Um, um, I grew up in Brooklyn. I'm one of the few New Yorkers left in New York. Okay. Um, I grew up in South Brooklyn. Um, my family immigrated from the Soviet Union, what was the Soviet Union in 79. Mm. But I grew up in South Brooklyn. Um, I guess, I mean, the way I got interested in photography, I kind of had to think about it. I realized my mother had black and white prints. She'd been printing and I always thought they were incredible. And she had these eight by 10 black and white prints. They were stained, they weren't fixed properly, but I just thought they were amazing. Mm. Um, when I was in high school, I wound up going to uh, Abraham Lincoln High School in Coney Island. Kind of a, it's kind of a rough school now, but it's, um, it had some accolades. Uh, uh, Neil Diamond went there. I, I graduated a year behind Stefan Mulberry of the Knicks. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, uh, but it turned out, completely unbeknownst to me, it had the best photo program in the country. It was run by a man named Howard Wallach this kind of hippie educator who put in 90 hours a week there. It was, we were, we were there all the time. He loved teaching. He's, uh, he's retired since he's in Colorado, but he really kind of created this incredible program. Um, there was scholastic awards given out to high schools for, um, competition for art. Okay. And there was a photo section and he would consecutively take the school that program would take 20% of the nation's awards. It was something like 20% of the entire nation. Wow. So this one program, um, it, was, it, was really, it was really his show. I mean, it's still there, but it's not the same. Uh, Carlos Molina runs it now. Okay. Um, so you guys are just learning how to use like the dark room and stuff like that? We had a full dark room with like eight enlargers with digital timers. I printed Cibachrome in high school using a Jobo. Wow. I developed, yeah, we had like, so by the time I got to college, the equipment was like, I was like, what is this garbage? <laughs> I've had the good stuff we since had, high school. <laughs> yeah, he had this, uh, he, he had this uh, contest at the end of the year where we put up our best prints and uh, he'd have judges and the judges were, they were literally Arnold Newman came to judge. Holy shit. Yeah, yeah, and I, I got to work for Arnold for a little while. That was an interesting experience. Uh, B&H Photo donated all the prizes. I won, I won one time, and I won an 8x10 Deerdorf. Holy shit, man. <laughs> yeah. I should have gone to high school there, man. <laughs> yeah, but nobody kind of knew about it, and it was this incredible place. And uh, who was there? Uh, Alex Webb came. Uh, uh, Jay Mizell, who, wow. the guy who sold a building for $55 million recently. <laughs> like he, you know, he had the best talks, and they would literally walk around with like little round stickies from staples and put them on the prints they liked and whoever got the most little circles won yeah. oh, uh, from the judges and cool. you win this grand prize um and it kind of taught us a lot i mean met some great people there seth kushner has passed since i went to high school with him and college mm. uh, but that's kind of that's i kind of cut my teeth on a very technologically at least very advanced program yeah, that's interesting. What was kind of stuff you were photographing early on? Were there like, like a style of photography you kind of were drawn to when you started I was, out? I was a street shooter. Okay, that's I right. was. I was that. That was my thing. And then I kind of. I mean, Henri Bresson, Gene Smith, Kappa. Mm. I mean, that's the kind of thing that I was drawn to. I was um, thirty-five. Somebody kind of. Yeah, I was thirty-five millimeter. Yep. And, 
um, something somebody, uh, a friend of mine described to me, I was never able to formulate it. He said, you take pictures, you don't make pictures, mm. which was very true by the way I shot. I was, I, I, I was a picture taker, not a maker. Yeah. Um, but post-production allowed me to make pictures. Yeah, definitely. It's without having to, you know, deal with people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so I guess once you got out of high school, like, did you go on to like, did you study photography after that? Or did you always kind of envision yourself working in the photo industry? I did. I was, I was, I was, I, I think I did around by 11th grade. I was supposed to, I was a very good, um, I was a very good student. I was a very good math student without very trying, very mm -hmm. good science student. I think my mom was an immigrant she was terrified that I was going to go to art school. And then she just, when I said I'm going to art school, she just didn't speak. Oh, really? About it. Yeah. <laughs> she was just horrified. Yeah. But I went to Pratt for a semester, um, one semester, and I absolutely hated Pratt for a variety of reasons. Mm. Uh, it just wasn't a place for me. It was this kind of fine art program where um, the, the black and white darkroom was this large open space. And I had come out of a space with, you know, um, Bessler. Dicro and large dicro head enlargers with a digital timer. Yeah, Th these things were like prehistoric, and and there was a clicker. There was like a metronome going all the time in a dark room, and like a light switch. So you had to go click on one, two, three, four, click off. Wow. And I was like, this is not. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I had this one teacher. He's like, he said, don't clean your negatives. I remember he said that. He's like, he's like you don't have to clean your negatives. Really? He said the French don't clean their negatives. <laughs> and it just just kind of stuck in my head. I was like, I don't like this place. I mean, yeah. But I have to say, the Pratt uh, foundation year was foundation semester was incredible because uh, the life study, uh, the still life study was a, it was three hours of life stu study studio. Mm -hmm. Sat there with a pencil and drew like cats would come up and sit in your lap. Same thing, uh, and then another three hours of still life, and then six hours of color theory. Okay. And it really gave you an understanding of what you were, how, how to look at things and how to interpret them. Mm -hmm. uh, I thought that was incredible. I, um, but I transferred to SVA the, the following semester and I finished off at SVA. Okay. Um, how was that experience? Did you feel like that was a pretty valuable experience going to SVA? I think, again, I think, um, as, as Clay said, Clay McBride said in his interview, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, it, it was about meeting people. Yeah, it was about meeting people. I think I think I was a little young. Mm -hmm. I, I went straight out of high school. I think if I had two or three more years off, I would have gotten a lot more out of it. Mm. Art school is not one of those places where you can come in and they teach you. You have to come in and do and want. Yep. And again, I, I was coming out of this high school with this attitude of like, I know more than everybody else. You just want to go do it. You're you just like do it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, like this is like, like I want to go, go, go. I know that feeling. Yeah, it's I mean, like yeah. yeah what, what, what do you mean graded paper? Like <laughs> yeah. this is graded paper. Yeah, I mean at that point, like you're in SVA. Did you envision yourself being a photographer, or when did the kind of like the retouching kind of aspect come into that stuff? I did. I was, <clears throat> I was on track to be a photographer, well past SVA, mm. and. Uh, a good friend of mine said he made another comment that stuck with me. He said, "You use you use people like still life props." Mm. I would do these compositions, and I mean, I was always a fan again of photographers. It was Arnold Newman? I got to spend some time with him, which was incredible. Yeah, got, yeah. How was that? You, you said you got to. I literally got to spend two weeks with him. Arnold thought he was dying. Okay. So Arnold had was had one a couple of boys that he could trust to go through his archives, destroy what needed to be destroyed, people who knew how to handle prints, but he he just drop these amazing gems like um get an elevator he would sit down he was in these he had two apartments in these old buildings in the upper west side the old artist buildings mm -hmm. the loft buildings he lived in one yep and two buildings down was his studio okay and it was one of these buildings with the operated doorman oh sorry the operated elevator the elevator operator yeah and it was a little bench and he would sit down and he'd look up at the guy he goes boys this is a lesson for you sit down every chance you have <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah. And I remember coming into his studio and he picks up an envelope and it's obviously has prints in it. And he says, you know what this is? Prince, Mr. Newman? No, this is my grandkids' college education. <laughs> yeah, that's, that sounds pretty like, interesting. It was, it, was, it was interesting. And, and got, getting to see his prints and I was always amazed by his compositions. Mm -hmm. I mean, he would, he would pose people and there would be like literally 
three white halide crystals between them. Yeah. I mean, just the way he would compose his shots was incredible. Yeah, that's such a legend, that guy. Like, that's wild. I can't imagine. <laughs> he, he said, what did he, he said, um, I think this was his quote. He said to us, unless he was quoting someone, but I think it was his. He said, uh, photography is 30% inspiration and 70% moving furniture around. <laughs> True. Which was kind of... <laughs> Breaking it down. Yeah. Uh, that's cool. So once you got out of SVA, what was kind of your first step, like getting into the photo world, I guess? Um, my first step was, I mean, it's, it's kind of funny because I got out of there and I assisted a couple of times and I just really didn't enjoy lugging equipment around for guys who were shooting white men in suits. Yeah. It was, it, I just, I just genuinely didn't enjoy it. I feel I wasn't learning anything I felt. So my dad knew this, uh, was friends with the publisher of the oldest Russian language paper in the world, which was on fifth Avenue. It had been, it was operating since before the Soviet revolution ended and wow. they were, they were like an anti-Soviet paper. They were a proper broadsheet. Wow. So I got a uh, photo editor position there. Okay. And my biggest education there was um, they were still printing out um, their articles, cutting them up, pasting them on a board with wax, and sending them off to be photographed the, the old way yeah. down in uh, the meatpacking district. Damn. And um, sorry, my dog is snoring. He's good. Yeah. Um, and making film and printing from there. It was it was a broadsheet. It was like the Times. Yeah. So my first job was to take them from that process to a digital process using Quark yep. to do all the layouts in Quark and to do color printing. Wow. So I, I got them to that level. Uh, one of the funny stories there was, I mean, they, they weren't paying me very well. I mean, I had a nice desk, and but they weren't paying well. But I found out that they paid five bucks for every image of yours they printed. Okay. So... I was the photo editor, so I started going out on weekends and shooting like the Russian neighborhoods, oh, really? areas in New York. <laughs> and at some point, the editor in chief called me and he's like, "Gene, like you can't put five hundred dollars worth of your images into it every week." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was like, "Okay, why not? They're good, man. They're good. Yeah, I was like, I'm, just, I'm subsidizing." <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> but I, I left there eventually, and I, just, I didn't want to. I just didn't want to do it anymore. And I kind of had a great experience with my dad, who was also an immigrant, and mm. he said. Um, I said, I, I don't want to do this anymore. This is not fun. I'm, I'm going to go to law school. I'm going to go, I'm going to do something else. Like, mm. this is just, I'm going to keep this for myself. I'm going to shoot, but I um, don't want to, this is not a good career. Yeah. Um, and he said, you know, I, I, I became a chemical engineer in food production to be around food in the Soviet Union. I wanted to be a boxing coach. He said, law schools always be there. My business is always, would always be there. Uh, he had a leather factory and I, since the age of 14, I helped him sell. I was a sales rep for him. Okay. I worked flea markets. Yep. Uh, he said, I'll always be here. So he said, give it a year. I said, okay. So I rented this little apartment in Williamsburg on, on top of Veracruz, which was all slanted floors. It was this crazy little <laughs> closet of an apartment. Yeah. Third floor walk up. And I went to SVA to the placement office. And they directed me to a, to a photographer for an assisting job. Okay. Um, photographer's name was Jean-Claude Maillard. He was an absolute character. Um, he was shooting Pierre Cardin, Neiman Marcus. Um, he was, uh, I found out he came from LA because he just decided he wanted to be a photographer. Because he was shooting out there. He was, he was a car dealer. But wow. the cars he dealt in were like vintage Aston Martins and Ferraris. <laughs> yeah, so he had this massive loft on Broadway just off of Houston. And I came in, I said, I'd like to assist. And at the time, my portfolio was all very heavily manipulated. I mean, I was doing Photoshop since high school. I mean, since oh, wow. one level of undo, no layers. Yep. Just from the very, like, Photoshop 2. That's when I had my first Photoshop. And I, I fell in love with it immediately. I thought this is an incredible darkroom tool. Yep. And everything was heavily manipulated, a lot of light painting, a lot of composition. And I said, I, I'd like to assist. And he said, no, you're not assistant, you're a retoucher. Oh, wow. I was like, no, I, I want to shoot, I want to assist. He was like, trust me, you're good it's at much this. better. You're good at this. So, yeah, so like the first thing he sits me down with is, is, is a, uh, a Neiman Marcus campaign with heavy composition putting people on the moon. Oh. So I'm like, okay. 
um, it's like compositing and stuff. Compositing yeah. and skin. And the way we did skin back then is I'm completely self-taught. I never, I had one Photoshop class, but they kind of showed you some basics that I already knew. Mm. Um, but I was completely self-taught. So the way we were doing skin work at the time was non-destructive, meaning you'd zoom in. And if you had a spot on the face, you couldn't clone it out. You couldn't, certainly couldn't, um, uh, you know, magic, magic, uh, Wand it out. I mean, <laughs> you literally had to. T I would take a lasso or a quick mask, select the area, go into curves, adjust the curve to to match the skin, mm -hmm. and then do the same thing for the shadows. And you did every single piece of skin that way. It was extremely laborious, extremely time consuming, but the results were amazing. That's wild. Like, how did you like early on Photoshop? Because that's like I'm probably before YouTube and all this stuff. There's not all these tutorial videos. Like, how are you even learning it? You just like trial, yourself. just trial and error. Absolutely like, trial and error. Yeah, absolutely trial and error. We would like write emails about things we wanted to happen, like that weren't happening. Mm -hmm. I kind of, I'm sure I'm wrong, but I take a little credit for the fact that you can reapply the liquify filter as a filter to masks afterwards because yeah. we wrote a bunch of emails and <laughs> we complained about the fact that you can just you know because when you liquefy an image that has a mask on it the mask is not liquefied yeah so now you can do it mm -hmm. so we're very, a few last few versions yeah it's pretty smart i would imagine like cause you like you said you started like first photoshop like you almost probably had a niche like there probably weren't as many retouchers back then i would bet like and if you were like good and stuck out, you probably, that's why it's probably pretty good for you. you well, know? I mean, it kind of snowballed from there. I mean, I started working with Jean-Claude and I got some amazing portfolio pieces. Like I said, he put me, he just threw me into like some of the biggest projects out there. Mm -hmm. And um, so I, you know, I got, I got a little bit of nerve and I went, I went on to look for other people and, you know, in my arrogance the first person I went after was Dalin Wee who was a very big fashion shooter at the time and he was this completely crazy young Asian guy totally amped up to 11 yeah and um, he was he was amazing he was I mean he was difficult to work with but he did something I've never seen anybody do he would literally sit down for a meeting with a with, with a client and on a piece of grid paper, he was, he was a trained architect. That was his background. He would draw out the entire lighting arrangement, lighting setup with like distances and powers. And the variation would be maybe 15% the next day. Yeah. It was just boom. Wow. Every time. And he was, shoot, we was doing guest campaigns. Uh, I did the TLC album covers. I did a lot of Lenny Kravitz, Madonna. I did a ton of celebrity. Okay. And, um, you know, um, I met VH1 through him, who was still a client. I still keep in touch with. Uh, I got to sit with George Pitts, okay. and I had no idea who George Pitts was, and it was kind of funny because he was he was saying to me, he's like, you know, can you do this? And I and I would say, I think this would work better, and he'd say, no, do that, and I'm like, well, no, I think this would work better. Just trust me. And he just looked at me and he said, I'm trusting you. I'm trusting you. Do it my way. Yeah. And I had no idea who George Pitch was, which is kind of a lesson of like, find out who you're sitting next to. <laughs> yeah, research. You know, he means he's a legend. Um, and then after Dalen, I was like, okay, I can do this. People seem to like what I do. I went into the, after David LaChapelle. So you're kind of just like freelancing, bouncing around at that point? Okay, you're at like... this point, I'm freelancing, bouncing around. I'm living out of a studio apartment okay. in, in, in uh, Williamsburg on Bedford Avenue and between 7th and 8th mm -hmm. on top of a Mexican restaurant. And I'm making sure to show up to drop off film. This is like zip drives, jazz drives time. Okay. I'm making sure to show up, you know, during shoot days when during lunch. Okay. <laughs> so, so you would actually go to the shoots and this be around for the shoots or... Kind of? Mostly or? for the shoots, I would show up to eat. Okay. This, I would yeah. like show up for lunch. They got a good spread on those They got a good shoots. spread. <laughs> and this was back when, like, you know, there'd be like, you know, eight berry tarts, and, you know, like there was lobster rolls, you know, linguine with truffles. I mean, it was, it was that. It was back then. But yeah, I would occasionally go on shoots. I would, I would, you know, photographers that work well with me, they would say, you know, come in, tell us what you would like, what kind of plates you would like, because yep. this is what we're doing. <laughs> so I went to David. And he hired me immediately. I showed him my work. He hired me immediately. Mm -hmm. I wound up working with David for a while. I, um, I did, um, I guess the most notable is his, uh, uh, for me, the most notable was his uh, Angels and 
it was, it was you know it wasn't angels it was upstairs downstairs book cover okay the two floors yeah, uh, yeah. la chapelle land maybe? yeah or maybe it was the other one but it was the one with the two floors mm-hmm. and i remember coming in here and he and he had spoken to me he told me he gave me he gave me the rundown of what we were doing mm-hmm. which was two floors downstairs and upstairs and i remember walking into his uh 13th street studio and just being blown away because he had built a two-story set yeah this you know this wasn't going to be comped (laughs) yeah he had literally built a two-story set and um one of the things i learned with david is i mean he you know flamboyant and and 80s david yeah but he would say i want this from here this from there and this from there Mm -hmm. and that would kind of be the end of the conversation and i'd say can i try this frame and this frame and that frame He'd say, yeah, but I want that. Yeah. And it was always what he wanted. He knew what he wanted. Mm-hmm. Like, he had a very specific vision in mind. Yep. And there was, the, the, the leeway I got was minimal with David. Mm. Um, I was able to, you know, he, he never liked it when I messed with his lighting. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, he never liked it when I messed with his color too much. He, yeah. was just, he was polite about it. He'd pull me back. Yeah. Um, but that was an interesting experience to work with him. Um, yeah, this seems like, I mean, I've never met him or anything, but there's li- like reading about him and seeing him like videos and stuff. This seems like such like a, like a show, like it's just like a, almost like a theatrical, like this, he's like such a big personality. It seems like it, everything's just like big, 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 big sets, everything. It just seems wild. Absolutely. He's, he was, <laughs> he was a massive personality. He's very sweet, very kind, very nice, very outgoing to people who work with him. He threw, he threw mm-hmm. Christmas parties and. Yeah. summer parties and just first crew and he'd show up he'd have a few drinks and he'd leave and yeah. just take care of his people and he had a he had a really large staff of people support staff of people that's cool um but he was tough yeah he was he was he was, he was a tough client yeah because like you said he, he knows what he wants and he doesn't really he, he knows what he wants and it's very difficult to get into his mindset mm-hmm. which is i find i tend to be good at it with photographers and with him it was very difficult and i think that's one of the lessons i learned mm. to understand what the photographer wants through david yeah that, i was gonna say is that like kind of take you a while to learn because like when you're working commercially it's like because you're an artistic person yourself and you kind of have your vision but then the photographer has theirs but you kind of have to like balance the two i guess because in the end of the day they're hiring yeah. you um yeah, I mean, it's, it works different with different relationships. I mean, David was one of those where I couldn't. Mm-hmm. Um, Scott Schaefer, for one, I've been working with him for like 17 years. I think I, think I literally do every image he shoots, <laughs> except for the ones where the client pulls it away from him, which happens. Yep. And I have a great relationship with Scott because he's kind of like, yeah, do whatever you want. And I'm one of these people, if you tell me do whatever you want, yeah. I mean, there are going to be fireworks and explosions and like animals flying through the air and smoke and fire. Mm-hmm. And Scott pulls me back. Okay. Scott reigns me back and he's like, no, 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 maybe, you know, <laughs> <laughs> you know, get rid of those three elements. Okay. You know, there's no need for the nuclear explosion in the corner mm. kind of thing. Um, but he's really great to work with. He, he allows me to push it. Yep. And if he likes it, he goes with it and he doesn't. And it's been that kind of relationship. And... Um, the longer I work with people, a lot of the time, most of the time, I don't get markups anymore. Okay. I don't get markups. I might get a couple of markups on a second round. Yeah. Um, you, you kind of have that trust now, like, and you probably just kind of discuss like what you want, what they want out of it, I guess. I mean, essentially I'm a master printer. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is a dark room with complicated dodging and burning mm-hmm. and other things going on. But this is a dark room. I'm the printer. I, I'm interpreting this raw file into what I think it should look like. Yeah. So there are photographers you work well with. There are photographers you don't work well with. Um, simply because your understanding of color is not the same. Your understanding of form and shape and lighting is not the same. Your mm-hmm. understanding of composition is not the same. Yeah. And when that happens often, I will either pass them off to one of my staff. Yep especially if it's a volume job mm-hmm. or it just kind of doesn't work. Yeah. It's like, it, Hey, yeah, I mean, it's, you should find someone else or something. Like, right. Yeah. Yeah. You should, I mean, perhaps we're not a good match. Yeah. I Cause mean, it's not good for him. It's not good for you. It's just at the end of the day, it's like, it's, yeah, I mean, constantly I, I, battling. I always try to find out what they want initially yeah. mm-hmm. and I try to give the photographer exactly what he wants. And I, and 
with new photographers, I always, you know, I look at their previous work. Um, with projects, I always ask for for the proof of concept. I always ask for what the direction is, what the inspiration is, what the mood boards are. Yeah. So I get an idea of which way we're moving. Okay. Um, but the biggest influence for me was around that time. And again, I'm 25 years old and living on top of a dirty Mexican restaurant on Bedford Avenue. <laughs> um, third floor walk up with the stairs you know, yeah, yeah. about to fall apart. And then I realized I, I was getting engaged around the time I moved into the city. Mm-hmm. And I realized that I have six figures sitting in my checking account. Damn. <laughs> it, was, it was really that. I was like, I came to my fiance at the time. I was like, look at that. I was like, I don't know how that happened. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, it's grinding away. Grinding away. Absolutely. Obscene hours. Mm-hmm. Uh, loving what I do. Um, but I went to, around that time, I went to meet with Andrew Eccles. Andrew Eccles was, she, I think he, I'm not sure he was her very first, but he was one of her first, first assistants okay. for Annie Leibovitz. Mm-hmm. And apparently in one of the books, she gives him credit for helping her develop that style of background, one stop darker, mm-hmm. that the whole look. Uh, and he's shooting in his own at this point. And his work is amazing. He's doing celebrity. He's doing portrait. He's doing, he's doing really creative portrait, things that I love. Andrew hires me. Uh, and Andrew has been kind of this guardian angel pivotal in my career over the years. He also fired me. He was the only one who actually fought, fired me. Yeah. And that was another great lesson. But he introduced me to Maxim Magazine, Dennis Publishing, at, okay. the, at the point when it was blowing up. Yeah. It became the largest men's magazine in the history of magazines. Was that like early 2000s? It was 1999. Like, like yeah. yeah, yeah. That magazine was like huge for a while. It was literally the biggest selling men's magazine in the history of magazines, mm-hmm. and they had to curtail circulation because it was hitting TV guide numbers, and nobody could afford advertising because advertising is based on on circulation. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it was an incredible. I mean, Felix Dennis. I mean, that's a whole different conversation. He, yeah. He launched this thing. He was absolutely brilliant the way he did it. Then when he found out FHM was coming, he launched stuff to take up the number two oh, slot. Yeah. yeah just simply to block the number two spot so FHM couldn't be on his tail. Mm. And he launched Blender. Oh, yeah. It was an amazing family of people. It was an amazing group of guys and girls. And um, it was kind of a silly magazine in a lot of respects. It was a lad magazine being staffed by some of the most overqualified people you've ever seen. At Maxim. Yeah, like the writers were all Ivy League educated. <laughs> they, all, they all write books now. They all have several novels under their belts. Yeah. Um, but everybody loved it. We had we had a great time, and I met some fantastic people there. I met um, Gwen Wahlberg, who I'm still in touch with. She was um, she was with Little Bear Inc. for a while, Bruce Weber's company. Yeah. She was producing for him, not for a little while. It's probably a decade. Okay. She just left recently. Yep. Um, I think she left recently. Yeah. Um, I met David Hilton, who was the art director for Max and became then the group creative director. Um, English guy, he, a dear friend of mine. Uh, he went back to the UK. So I think he's coming back now. Um, afterwards, he became the VP of creative of WWE Enterprises. Oh, wrestling? Yeah, which is kind of, it sounds silly, but it's one of these things from my point of view as a retoucher. It's awesome. It's awesome. Because they do, do so much creative stuff. You can do anything. You can like yeah. set people on fire, uh, blow them up, put them on the moon, do the most ridiculous things. Oh, and it's yeah. like, yeah, that looks cool. Yeah. And it, it's just fun yeah there's no rule it's like it is goofy like people like laugh at wrestling like i i I still look at it it's like it's like it's like a thing like little kids like but every time you see it like they have like the whatever like the uh cage match and stuff it's just like such a circus it's awesome i mean and they also have great people christine riley's the photo writer there and she's she's great she's tough she's a tough one Mm -hmm. but she has a really amazing eye for photography so she'll she'll do the kind of basic stuff but then once in a while she'll throw in a story and you kind of go she just really shoot that with an eight by ten Polaroid. <laughs> She's like, "Yes, I did." That's awesome. It's kind of it's kind of great. So but, you were working like in house at Maxim, or still like freelancing on your own, or how did that work? Well, the way I learned met them was that Andrew had shot a cover. He shot several covers. I retouched two of them. By the third one, I retouched. I get called in by Gwen Wahlberg mm. to the dentist offices at ten forty sixth Avenue. She looks at my work and she says, "Do you want all of it?" I said, "What do you mean all of it?" <laughs> Yeah. And at this point, I have only one assistant. 
She's like, the whole magazine, do you want it? And there's another magazine coming. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's a lot. <laughs> so, I mean, they literally, I mean, they threw a bag of money at me. Yep. And so I kind of left fashion. I left beauty. I left that world because of that. And they gave me, I, they rented me a space at 1046th Avenue, a, a studio space. Yep. Gave me a piece of their property and I paid rent. It was always my company. Okay. Um, moved a few times in the building. Uh, Stephen Colvin, who was the president the, at one point, offered to buy my company twice. Oh, wow. I said, no, I'm not. I'm still not sure whether that was the right thing to do or not. Um, built up my staff to four people and we were working obscene hours. I mean, like, I would get a phone call at two in the morning and we'd be there till five. Yeah, because I would imagine you're retouching the magazine, but then there needs stuff for online. So it's probably this like tons of imagery. I would, I would, I guess. That was so pre-online. Oh, really? This was, so like, was not as much. This was not as much. This was covers. This was just standing there and like obsessing over cover lines. Mm -hmm. And uh, the art directors, Dave especially, he would, you'd give him a spread and say, you know, move that over this much and that much. Yeah. And say, that's not centered. Mm -hmm. And you go, yeah, it is centered. Yep. He'd say, nope. He's opened up in, in InDesign, a quirk at the time, look at it. And it would be off by a pica. Yep. I mean, this is the guy that would spend like a half an hour fixing the kerning on, 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 on <laughs> cover lines. Yeah. It was really, in, you know, like brighten this up for legibility. Um, but he was really influential. He's, he's, he's become a dear friend. Um, he said something interesting to me at one point. We were having drinks. We, we had a lot of drinks back then. <laughs> he said... The reason you and I are always going to be okay is because we have a blue-collar working mentality in a white-collar industry. Yeah, yeah. And that always stuck with me. It was kind of, yeah. Yeah. That's, that's kind of the way you have to approach this, this field. This grind, grind, grind. Don't have an ego about it. And right. Just, just do the work, do the work. And it's kind of... Keep... Right. Get past your ego. You're not the client. Mm -hmm. There is a client. If you want to do ego work, go do it. I do it occasionally. I'll do occasionally peace. But yeah. I mean, you're a hired gun. He, he, for a while, he referred to me as the wolf, like yeah. the one from Pulp Fiction. Mm -hmm. and there's a guy with his head blown off in the back seat. Call the wolf. He'll yeah. clean it up. Yep, yep. Like, when the shot was. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but Andrew fired me because I actually, it's another lesson I learned was Andrew had shot this celebrity on Genoo for the cover and he sent him the selects, but he sent him the entire session. Uh, still on, all on film still. And David said um, he didn't like it. He didn't like the select. So he changed the select. I sent a casual email saying, hey, we're changing the select. I did the retouching. I put up the red flags. This image is soft focus. They don't care. They're like, we want to run this anyway. This is the image we want to run. Yeah. So they run the image. Following week, I get called in. And Andrew didn't even do it. Jean-Marc Vlamnik did it. Uh, who also I met from there, who's uh, went to J. Walter Thompson later. Yep. Uh, and then he's um, with, with a, with a, he went to the other side. He's an art buyer now. Okay. Uh, he fired me and he said, you know, Andrew can't work with you anymore because you didn't run this by him and this ran soft focus. I said, but I put up all the red flags. He said, but you didn't put them up by Andrew. Yep. And it kind of made me understand that even though he gave them the art, my allegiance should have been with the photographer, even though at this point I'm working for Dennis Publishing and Maxim. Yeah. I didn't, I mean, I felt it was a bit unfair because he wasn't, he wasn't reachable, mm -hmm. but in retrospect, I, yeah, I understand. That was like, that was an absolutely amateur error. Yeah. They kind of, it's up to them to make those decisions. Yeah. Don't let art go until the person who shot it. Mm -hmm. And that has been like the, the rule here. So ever since then, that's what I learned. Nothing leaves until the people who yeah. are going to approve it, approve it. Yeah. That's one thing I was gonna ask you is it's like running your own business. Like when you're this starting out and I mean, you've been doing it for a while. Like, what do you think some of the most important things you've learned of this, like running a, like a, a business? Because it is like, it's trial and error. I mean, it takes time, but is there like any things you kind of learned over time? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I kind of grew up in business and small business and that helped me a lot, but it hindered me a lot because I was never able, I didn't understand what the next step was a lot of ways. Um, I think what I've learned is the interconnectivity. Yep. It's this industry is three people wide. Mm -hmm. It's three people across. It's three degrees of separation. And the kind of the things I tell people when they leave here is don't burn bridges. Mm. Just don't burn bridges. If somebody mistreats you, yeah. say, it was a pleasure working with you. I hope to work with you again. Even, yeah. if, even if you never want to see that person again. Yeah. Uh, because you're going to wind up mistreating people inadvertently. Yeah. Um, 
and you never know where people wind up mm -hmm. and you never want that out there. Mm -hmm. You just want to be a professional about this. Yeah. You don't want to, you know. Yeah. If you don't got no, it's like basic stuff. Like if you don't have something nice to say, don't say it. Like there's no point. Like you can have those feelings, but there, it's like, there's no need to like this be the caddy and talking crap. Yeah. It, 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 it does no good for anybody. Correct. It does, it does not, especially for you, especially for the person talking, because you never know who you're talking to. Mm -hmm. You're talking to the person's best friend, you yeah. know, two years down the line, mm -hmm. who is the one who's hiring you. Yeah. Uh, and also people have off days. Exactly. People have days where they, you know, our directors have days, mm -hmm. producers have days where yeah. you don't know what else is going on in their life and they come into on set and they're difficult. Yeah. Definitely. Or they show up in your studio and they're being difficult. And a lot of the time it's because there's three people above them giving them a hard time. Mm -hmm. So part of my job is to, I guess, take the brunt of the fault. Yep. And I say like, and I've said to photographers, it's like, look, if this is his work, just blame it on me. Yeah, it is. Blame yeah, it that on is, me. that is a weird situation. Yeah, you kind of are the fall guy. Cause it's like, uh, that's part of my job. I'm the fall guy. Yeah. I'll apologize. I say, let me fix it. I'll fix it. Even though it had nothing to do with me, even though it's in camera, even though the direction was given by the photographer, I'm aware that if I fix it, mm -hmm. there's a much better chance of that photographer getting that client again. Yeah. And it'll come back to me eventually. Exactly. It's like you take a lot of shit, but then when you save the day, you're like the man. Yeah, <laughs> so it's like, yeah, that's a good trait to have this being able to like this, take that abuse, you know, you have to, you have, you have to really, you have to be able to take the brunt of the, mm -hmm. of the client sometimes. Yeah, definitely. Um, so I guess like, when did you kind of form Catchlight Digital? Was that back then or like when you're at Maxim or like when did I that kind of formed Catchlight as a company? It must've been 2099 spring of, yeah. And then I, it, I, it became, I just converted it to an LLC. Okay. On, on advice of my accountant, but it, it's been that since it's been it's always been catchlight it's always been me it's always been my show yeah i've had staff ranging from myself and one person to myself and seven people okay um working double shifts mm -hmm. i've had a couple of years like that yeah some incredible years i've tried a variety of approaches i've tried volume approaches i've tried catalog approaches i've tried um different parts of the industry. And one of the things I learned is I don't advertise. Well, well, I mean, Scott Schaefer introduced me to RGA and Shia Day. Mm -hmm. And we do, you know, we did Intel advertising recently. We yep. did some really great stuff. Um, you know, MTV came from my previous relationships with um, Karen Weiss, who was a, it was a, a blender. Okay. She brought me back in there and now like, my favorite people in the world. Mm -hmm. um, but at the same time, I met a photographer named Michael Biondo who was shooting a bridal house. Um, the biggest bridal house and probably the biggest privately held or publicly held bridal house in America at the time. Mm -hmm. And he had like eight divisions, two subdivisions in each, uh, two seasons, you know, 30 dresses each division. Wow. So, I got all the advertising, all the catalog for all those divisions mm -hmm. for 12 years. Damn. Um, and at the same time, I was doing Maxim. And at the same time, I had some still life clients and some celebrity clients. So it was very much like you, you don't want to tell, you don't want to come into a uh, celebrity publicist and, say, and show them a still life or bridal book. Yeah, it's like know your audience. Right. You don't want to come into a fashion and show them bridal. Mm -hmm. You don't want to come into bridal and show them key art. Mm -hmm. Everybody wants to feel like what it is you're doing for them is, like is the passion of your life. Yep. It's the only thing you do and only thing you know how to do. Mm -hmm. And it's hard to explain that I kind of, I thrive on the diversity. Yeah. And one thing influences the other and I'm, I'm able to learn from variety of things yeah because like looking at your website yeah you do all types of stuff like you'll do like some cool editorial stuff and then advertising and all types of different like still life um do you have like one genre that you feel like you enjoy retouching more than others or is it that i do personally yeah i guess key art 
I love key art. It gives me, it's kind of what I did when I started. It gives me the freedom to be an illustrator, mm-hmm. which is kind of actually in junior high school. I wanted to be an illustrator. I wanted to draw. And uh, there was this other kid named Andrew in my sixth grade. He was illustrating also. And he, he was one of these people, like, again, back to Clay McBride. I told him this recently about himself. I would look at Andrew's illustrations and look at mine, and the reaction was like, oh, why do I even bother? Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, oh, like you, I did this, you did that. So like, I don't know why I bother. Yeah. And I just recently told Clay that he, I, he, he gave me the same feeling in high school. It's like, why do I bother even trying? Yeah. Yeah, it's tough. Like, you can't really compare yourself to other people. It's just like, it's it's just goes to a bad place, I think. You just have to focus on your own work and right. just keep working on it. That's, right. that's what I tell myself. Because even me, like, so I look at other photographers, I'm like, man, I suck. I got to, like, get better or something. It's like, that's just wasted energy. It's like, focus on your work and keep growing at it. That's, that's how I kind of look at it, I guess. Um, but uh, one thing I was just going to ask is, is, like, what what do you think, like, what's the key to being, like, a good retoucher, you think? Is it, like, a... There's a couple of things I had. I, the way I taught people initially is I was very, very much against hiring experienced retouchers. Okay. So I would hire um, kids right out of college who knew what the image should look like rather than know how to get it to do it. Mm. Like I didn't want technicians who understood. Like, yeah, I know every aspect of Photoshop. I know every shortcut. I know how to, you know, how to do everything. But you don't know what needs to be done. Yeah. And those guys are valuable for certain things, but the people I used to hire, especially during the Maxim days when we had big editorials, yeah. was people that understood images and didn't know how to get them there, yeah. which was usually illustrators and uh, people with really great drawing skills and yeah. people with great photography skills. Yeah. And I would teach them my way of doing it. And part of the reason was, at the time, everything had to look like it came from the same hand. True. So you couldn't have a story that had a variation in style, mm-hmm. even the most subtle one. Mm-hmm. So I taught them. Um, I think understanding, and I've, I've had people who are amazing technicians, but you have to mark everything up. It's like, you, know, you miss this, you miss that. Like, how do you miss this? You've been here for six years. Yeah. You know, you're obviously not thinking about it. You're just doing it. Yeah. And those people are great for certain projects, but, uh, but, but in the things that we love to do, the things that I, I, my portfolio pieces that I love doing, you have to add an understanding. So that's the first thing I look for in a retoucher, somebody who understands what needs to happen, understands the image. The next thing I teach them is, um, when they sit down, is masking. Mm. Masking is like, to me, masking is the most important thing still. Mm-hmm. It's a dark room. I mean, we break things up into hard moves and soft moves. Hard moves are destructive moves where you're actually manipulating pixels, moving them around, yep. um, which is liquefying, stamping, all of those things. Uh, compositing soft moves are darkroom moves you're, you're dodging and burning sorry my, my I can no, no, snoring I was, at, I was just looking no it's fine I was just looking it, <laughs> um, they're soft moves they're they're dodging and burning and, and the same way you would dodge and burn with a hole in a piece of cardboard yep you know in under an enlarger that's what a mask does but masks give you an extremely precise way mm-hmm. of being selective of what you're working on yep and it's to me it's the most important thing to get the mask correct and I start them with paths I get them to masks, I get them to hair. Yeah. And then we start talking about retouching and liquefying and, col- and color is the very last thing we talk about. Okay. But the most important thing I teach retouchers, I sit down and I say, we're photo finishers. We're retouchers, we're, uh, we're photo finishers. Mm-hmm. And that means we finish the images. But that doesn't mean we just finish the photographer's work. Yep. You have to wear all the hats. You're finishing the work of the photographer. You're finished the work of the hairstylist. You're finishing the work of the makeup artist. Sure. You're finishing the work of the prop stylist. Bring it all together. You're finishing the work of the stylist. Yep. So at each step, you have to think like that person. So you get a beautifully retouched uh, photography with lighting. Um, and then, like, did you not see that the eyeliner and the eyebrows are messed up? Mm. Did, I have certain people who will consistently miss the lips for some reason they don't register lips yep um i'll have people who will miss wrinkles i've seen people miss wrinkles on clothing and they've done everything else but like but this is a complete image we're finishing the image so you have to really think as every person Mm. 
And then on top of that, the thing I've learned from my years in publishing is that you also have to think like the art director. You also have this conversation of like, right, where's your copy going? Yeah. What's the color of your copy? What's this photo being used for? Right. Yeah. Do you want me to adjust the legibility? Mm-hmm. What are the mechanicals? How much bleed do you want? Yeah. Like, you have to be able to just look at an image and go, yeah, that's a really pretty green. That will never print. Mm-hmm. Um, here are some options of how it will print. Definitely. So, I mean, that printing background helped me tremendously. Um, and one thing I wanted to ask you about this being with your expertise, what would you say to someone like either if they want to become a retoucher or even this, even photographers that want to improve their retouching, where's like a good place to start? Like what should they be like focusing on? Because like even for myself, like I was looking for ways to improve my like workflow and stuff. And like when you go on with YouTube and everything, there's so many tutorial videos and like, where do you even begin? Like, I know you kind of touched on a little bit how you said you kind of colors, like the last thing you talk about, but what are kind of like some of the first little steps that you would tell people this kind of stuff to kind of learn and just kind of focus on to help improve their own work, you think? I mean, it depends on the work. Yeah. It depends on the kind of work they're doing. Mm-hmm. I'd say that and it also depends on what stage they're at. Um, portrait people, photographers, any photographer. Yep. Masking is critical. Okay. Understanding how to mask an image is critical. Mm-hmm. Um, the secret to fine retouching is this is another thing I tell people. There is no secret. You sit down and you do it for five hours. Mm-hmm. I mean, five hours. Yep. Next time around, it might take you three and a half. And that's kind of the difference it makes it between a a really good retoucher and an amazing retoucher. The difference is an amazing retoucher takes three hours to do what it takes someone else eight hours to do. Yep. And that translates to budgets. That translates to the ability to do more, mm-hmm. uh, to timelines. Uh, that's one of the things. The other thing I would say to look, there's, there are literally 10 ways to do one thing in Photoshop. True. It's the ability to recognize which approach is most effective in a given situation. Mm. And that comes with experience. Um, I used to absolutely refuse to let people use that high pass, the dodge and burn with a gray layer. I don't mind anymore. Okay. Um, work non-destructively. Be able to go back to what you've done. Uh, what else? Um, understand where you're going. I mean, play with it, but understand where you're going and don't get emotionally attached to what you've done. Mm. Just finish what you've done, get it to a point and then just go work like an art director and just say, okay, I've gotten this like 90% there. It's interesting. Let me try a different approach. Let me see where this goes. And that's kind of the way, uh, one of the ways to do it. Um, for photographers. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, I hate to say this, frankly, photographers who, are working successful photographers shouldn't be doing their own retouching. They shouldn't have time to do their own retouching. Now, Scott, for instance, he sends me files with these like massively sloppy adjustment curves and all these things on top. Yeah. And because like he's like, I want to look like that. He's it's it's a mock-up. And so now I have to take everything he's done, retouch the image, interpret it, and then clean up his work. So he, so I, I know what he wants. You'd rather just be like, send me the raw file and we'll start from scratch. Or no, no, you, you like no. That? With Scott, again, it's Scott has a long-term relationship. Mm-hmm. Naomi Colton was someone I worked with. She's, she's retired since. Um, and she would do that. She would just go, off you go. Okay. I, you know what I want. Fantastic. Yeah. And she'd send me celebrity, celebrity, celebrity. Okay. Um, Scott, even though Scott, I mean, I will say I developed this look with him to some extent. I was there when the look was being developed. I think I, I added a bit to it. Mm. You know, um, Scott figure out what he wanted. Like we figured out what Scott wanted and he, and he'll give direction on it and yeah. all soft moves. And I have to interpret what he wanted. Yeah. You know, I'll, I'll get esoteric directions somehow. Sometimes I get the most esoteric directions like make her feel more approachable. <laughs> You know, it's like, okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, no, that's good stuff, man. But, but for, but, but for, I would say for kids in school, uh, who want to get into retouching and post, mm. I would absolutely most definitely say learn 
after effects. Okay. Learn after effects because I've been very big on these, uh, these moving images. Oh yeah. I saw that on your site. Yeah. I can, I can talk about that for an hour. I think they are brilliant. Mm -hmm. I think they're brilliant for social media. I think they're brilliant for analytics. They, they completely bump up your analytic rating. Um, an image that is static will get like a tenth of the viewership of a, of a, of a dynamic image, yeah. even if it's like a bit of motion, yep. uh, it'll, um, it'll create viewership. It'll create, um, it, it, the analytics right now measures, not just click throughs. It measures, uh, retainability, mm -hmm. uh, how long you're looking at an image and people look at a moving image a lot longer. Is that something you've been doing for a while, the motion stuff, or is that kind of newer? I kind of started doing it a couple of years ago, and okay. I, I was kind of blown away by it. It was it was based on some research. Again, David Hilton, who's mm -hmm. in WWE, they did research, and he passed on some of the information to me. Yeah. And, I mean, it used to be. I think they might have fixed it by now, but, like, Instagram, if you had a four-second uh, GIF on a loop, and you watched it for 12 seconds, it counted it as uh, three reloads. Yep. But yeah, so these animated GIFs, and, and they add a world of um, possibility to clients mm -hmm. because you're creating a lot of these animations from existing art. You don't have to go out and generate new art. Yep. And I found with clients a lot, I mean, I've had these conversations, because I, I do get into the, I do produce some photo shoots. Um, yeah, that's what I was going to say, because like with Catchlight, your website, you guys do, I think, some like catalog design. Yeah. Photo shoot production. Yeah. So you guys kind fine of art, a bunch, fine art printing. Yeah, but as if you always done all that stuff, or is it just kind of evolved to over time? To some extent, yeah. I kind of it, this is my ADD. I get bored. I yeah, yeah. Do, I want to do peripheral things. I want to be able to see these things, like that photo of work mm. on glass. I come up with printing processes. And, yeah. Uh, we did all the Gansevoort Hotels artwork. We printed massive piece sheets of glass. Mm. Worked with a glass company. We did backlit glass. Mm. Um, it kind of all, it all stems from this, yep. from photo imaging, but it, it grows. Yep. But I, I found that for clients, when I can offer them something, I'll say, you've done this shoot. You've got, you know, 600 images for the one shot we did, mm. but now you've got 600 images. It doesn't cost you anymore to take those and animate them and to create content for social media. Mm. it's you've already paid for this you're just tweaking it yeah just combining it dropping a little smoke into something is not going to complicate it some sparkles some mm -hmm. motion some it, it's a very effective and again this is I'm not talking about high art I'm talking about commercial photography yeah. and it, it just sets you apart from other businesses and the reality is brick and mortar businesses are going, are going uh, completely out of business. Mm -hmm. And m a lot of companies are going to um, strictly online. Yeah. So the only thing distinguishing one company from another is their online presence, which is the images, which is what it looks like. So I feel like some of that's coming back. Like I've, I've often gotten this complaint about Oh, the budgets are gone. The budgets are not here. There's no more budgets for photography. There's no more budgets for post. I, it's been terrible. And it was like, I remember in 2007, it fell apart. I had a lot of friends, a lot of dear friends who were shooters, very successful, you know, relatively speaking. And a year later, their salaries, like their incomes drop by tenfold. Yeah. And they got out. They said, we're done with this. Like, we don't want to do this anymore. This yeah. is ridiculous. We signed up to be rock stars and, and we're mechanics. Yep. So, but the reality is the budgets didn't go away. They the just, difference is that if there was a $100,000 budget for a company, which they allocated two $50,000 shoots for, they would shoot the, two, the first one. They would get 10 images out of it. They would advertise those 10 images for the next six months, and then they would do the next shoot, and th there's your $100,000 budget. Yep. The way things are moving now, if a company does that, they're, they're irrelevant. They have to constantly update their social media presence. They have to constantly throw media out there. They have constantly have new images, constantly new work. Yeah. All that's happened is that same $100,000 is no longer two fifty dollars shoots. 
it's ten ten thousand dollar shoots. Yeah, yeah. That's like libraries. They're shooting libraries of images and as much content as they can, and then just using it in Correct. any way they can. Correct. And it's it's annoying, but at the same time, it's like, well, where did you think this company was going to get the extra hundred thousand dollars from? Mm-hmm. And it's the company's trying to survive, so they. I think it's getting better. Yeah. Partly because, again, a lot of brick and mortar is gone. Uh, there's a, comp- a few companies doing it really well. Like I mentioned, a bridal company, Beholden, is doing it really well. You could see that they're investing in in in, in separating themselves from the rest of the market. Mm. Um, this is strictly commercial, so that's why I say, um, kids in school should know After Effects. It's kind of expected now. That's the first thing I ask. I say, do you know After Effects? To what extent do you understand animation? To what extent do you understand timeline? Yep. Um, it all goes back to masking and color. Because to me, After Effects, when I work with it, it's essentially, it's, it's Photoshop with an additional two dimensions, which is you know, depth and pan and time. Yep. Because everything else, I mean, aside from the interface, everything else works the same exact way. The, the layer effects, the multiply the screen, the dissolve, the um, overlays, the masking, mm-hmm. they all work the same. Yeah. Um, it's just the interface is a little different. It's like, I don't know, it's like somebody who knows how to drive a bus getting into a Ferrari. Yeah. You know, it's just, yeah, it's kind of all the same, but it's, I don't know where these buttons are. Mm. So to me, it's very important. Yeah, that's smart. Like this kind of continually evolving, especially with your stuff. Photoshop's changing. The way people process stuff is changing. So it's just kind of staying on top of that and being able to like offer your clients another service, like with the motion stuff. Anything you can do to kind of set yourself apart, I guess, is a good thing. Correct. And I think, and it's it's sort of what's happening with photographers now. I, I hear this a lot. Um, like, I have to start doing. I've, I've I've done a little, but I have to start doing more color grading mm. because. The conversations seem to be, oh, you know, we have this great campaign for a Broadway show or a TV show, yeah. and we want somebody who will do video and photo. Yeah, it's want the package yeah, deal. Yeah, we want a package deal. Yeah. And uh, if it's not a package deal, it's usually it's a big video production, and then the photographer gets 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. So same way photographers have to understand motion at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, so... So do people doing photo finishing and post. Yep. Yeah, definitely. And I guess this is kind of my last question. Um, since you've been doing this for a while now, like what do you think the keys to like your success have been? And do you kind of have any goals for Catchlight um, going forward? Things you're looking to pursue? Um, keys to my success. First of all, it's been just working your butt off mm-hmm. and just not going, well, it's six o'clock. It's time to go home. Yep. Like, like I learned that in, 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 uh, editorial deadline is King. It, it doesn't matter. And I actually first learned it in the newspaper where the art director, I'd say, this is not finished. He'd say, well, we can try it again tomorrow. Yeah. It's a daily, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but deadline is King. Other thing is the people I've met. I mean, and they all go back to other people like Andrew Eccles, um, um, David Hilton, Scott Schaefer through stuff, mm-hmm. you know, stuff through, through Andrew, Andrew through La Chapelle, uh, Warwick Saint, who I work with a lot. I work very closely with Warwick Saint. He's, he's awesome. He's brilliant. He does really beautiful, sexy work out in LA. Um, you know, came through Adam Bell, who was the managing editor of, uh, of uh, stuff, and now he is the editorial director of O Magazine. Um, it's, it's the people that I work with. It's the people that have taught me. It's the people who have given me chances mm-hmm. and networking. Like, I would say network. And there's a shyness that happens when you work with somebody and you, you wind up with a contact for... So you work with a photographer, you wind up with a contact with an art director. Yep. You don't reach out to him right away. You don't come after him... Um, you let the job finish. You say, what did you think of our work? Yep. Please do keep in mind this for other projects. Mm-hmm. If you've done a few they like, have a cup of coffee. I made some of my best friends this way because um, being, it's easier being friends with industry people. You can, you know, you can 
it's a lot harder with you know Wall Street guys and you know musicians and yeah. it's people who kind of speak your language and understand the world you're from and it's always good to be able to get a perspective like I went back to Clay McBride he's like I he comes here he stayed with me not too long ago we had dinner yep. most recently and I can bounce things off of him I can say things like I'm completely uninspired I don't know what to do like I he's, he'll be like go shoot with your phone. Yeah, 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 go exactly. Pick up a camera, go just rediscover it. Or yeah. you'll say, you know, ABC, you know, I'm, I'm having breakfast with Andrew on Tuesday. Again, 20-year relationship. Yeah. Maintain those relationships. And I'll say, Andrew, like, where do you see this whole thing going? What should I be concentrating on? Mm -hmm. What should I be doing? Yeah. Um, and Andrew will give you advice. Um, hook up your friends, do free projects, especially ones that are beautiful, mm -hmm. uh, especially the ones that you're proud of. Yeah. Uh, you never know when it'll come back yeah, to you. Yeah. Uh, and I, I find this industry has changed from competitive to collaborative. Mm. You have to collaborate with the people you work with. Definitely. If you find a stylist you love. Like, I mean, one of my favorite people I've met with Jean-Claude Meyer was, was Nico Cotales, and he was out of the industry for a while. Mm -hmm. And I had no idea. Like, I was a, I was a kid out of school, Brooklyn. Yeah. And I show up, and, and, and Nico walks in. Nico's like this five foot four, emaciated, thin, very affected gay boy with giant, like, curly hair. He's completely affected. He's fabulous and fierce yeah. and I'm like who is this dude like I'm like I'm kind of rolling my eyes and like and and then he, he would roll in with like we shot the uh the, that famous Pierre Cardin dress with the, with the metal hoops yep. which was like there was to be like three of them and he would roll in every day and especially with that one I remember with polaroids of himself wearing the clothing looking fierce <laughs> in these dresses and it was like and you and kind of like at the time I was like I was like just he's so gay <laughs> And it took me years to realize that what that was and to develop a respect for what that was. Yeah. The amount of love. Yeah, he, lo he has had a passion for he it. He has such a passion for these images and how, these how this clothing looks. Yeah. He's just so absolutely talented and has such a genuine excitement, excitement for it. Yeah. It's infectious. Yeah, definitely. And, and if you get someone like that who's infectious, whether it's hair styling whether it's somebody who comes in and just adds the next level i'm sure it makes everybody else want to do it and then like i'm, pro I'm sure on projects like that you're like damn this guy was so pumped i want to go like the extra mile make his photos like absolutely you'll put in the extra hours at the retouching like because i want this to be yeah badass even the photographer is like whoa yeah, yeah. i can't phone this one in I, I don't care if it's just a you know yep a catalog shoot i can't phone this in i'm gonna have to just really like you know bring out two more lights and another reflector and <laughs> yeah it's, yep. it's great to work with people like that and, and just being able to recognize talented people who are inspiring. Cool. And then this kind of going forward um, with Catchlight, anything you guys are kind of hoping to work on or? Um, yeah, I'm, like I said, I did the Maximum stuff for a while, the Lad magazines. We did quite a bit of money. I did quite a bit of bridal, mm. did quite a bit of catalog. Yep. At this point, I, I made a very active decision to push towards key art okay which i like a lot which requires a lot more of my personal time mm -hmm. but i'm happier with the results i'm proud to show it nice it, for, for a while about 50 percent of my work i could never show mm. i just would never show it it's just this is commercial yeah work mm -hmm. uh, but i want to do that kind of work i want to work with good people i want to work i want to do i want to start doing um a lot more key art. I, I do a lot for, for MTV, I've done VH1. It's one, uh, Andrew, Andrew, again, recently introduced me um, um, to a couple of companies. Uh, Warwick Saint put me in touch with Sereno Coin for Broadway and make these people happy, go the extra mile and get more of this kind of work. It's rather than try to go after the piece of business that India is trying to go after. Yep. Like I don't want to compete with India. I don't want to. I'm not, not at any level, not even for the top 10% of, the, of what they're trying to eat away at. Mm -hmm. um, and I, and, and um, I want to I enjoy the work. Yeah, definitely. Well, 
I definitely look forward to seeing what you guys work on in the future. And uh, just want to thank you, Gene, so much for taking the time to come on here. It was a real pleasure getting to speak with you and talk to you about all your work because you've done a lot of interesting stuff over the years. Um, but for people that are going to listen to this, uh, where's the best place for them to check out your work? Uh, check out catchlightdigital.com. Mm-hmm. Um, portfolio's up there. Okay. Um, just go to the portfolio section. We have, um, and yeah. Perfect. Well, thanks, Gene. I appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you, Alex. So there you have it. That was the Gene Bressler interview. I want to thank Gene so much for taking the time to come on the podcast. It was a real pleasure getting to speak with him about all his work and experience. I know I was real excited to get a professional retoucher on the podcast and kind of learn a little bit more about what they do and kind of their perspective on the photography industry. Um, So I definitely thank Gene so much. I know I learned a lot. I hope you guys enjoyed it too. And uh, yeah, going forward, just want to let you know I'll be having weekly podcasts every Monday on iTunes, SoundCloud, as well as on my website, alexgagnephoto.com, and on my Instagram, at alexgagnephoto. Thanks so much, and take care.